0: This is K.M. Weiland, and you are listening to the 412th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. This week, I finally did something I've been wanting to do for a long time. I drastically rearranged my bookcase. In the past, I've been notoriously obsessive-compulsive about organizing my books first by fiction or nonfiction, then alphabetically by author last name. But since I'm remodeling my office, among other things... This year, it felt like a good time for a change. So I went all radical and decided to arrange them aesthetically, mostly by spine color, some upright, some piled on their sides, some with their neutral colored pages side out, and none of them with dust jackets. That's right, I committed the ultimate sacrilege of removing all my dust jackets. I couldn't quite bring myself to throw them away though, and now they have their own special little tub in the top corner of my closet, just in case they change my mind. In the meantime though, I'm incredibly happy with how the bookcase turned out. Not only is it nice just for a change, but all those hardcover books with their gold foil titles look simply delicious. Which makes it appropriate that today we're going to revisit my top book's From 2017. When you're a writer, stories are life. You can't create them without ingesting them. That's why Stephen King famously said if you don't have time to read, you don't have the time or the tools to write. Simple as that. That's why this annual look back at my top books of 2017 is always one of my favorite posts that I do on my website. For better or worse, however, This year was the worst reading year in my entire life in terms of quantity. I said that last year when I'd read only 80, but this year I really mean it. I've topped out at just 42 books read, which for me seems like a really dismal number. The good news, however, is that amongst those 42 books were some really good ones. So following is my list of my top five favorite books in both fiction and nonfiction, with a few bonus writing craft titles thrown in. But first, some fun stats. The total number of books I read was 42. The fiction to nonfiction ratio was 20 to 22. 20 fiction to 22 nonfiction. Male to female author ratio was 28 to 14. 28 male authors, 14 female authors. And the top five genres that I read were history, in which I read 10 books. Classic fiction with nine books. Fantasy with five. Writing how to with five and historical, with three. And the number of books per ratings, five-star being the highest, there were three five-star books, twenty four-star books, ten three-star books, nine two-star books, and zero one-star books. So here are the top five fiction books that I read in 2017. Number one is Blood Song by Anthony Ryan, which I read on March 26th in which I gave four and a half stars. I loved it. It's not as flashy as, say, Brent Weeks, but this is an incredibly thoughtful, well-realized, steady, and thoroughly enjoyable epic fantasy. The protagonist is one of those rare good characters that managed to be utterly sympathetic, engaging, and heartrending. So much so that he was one of the inspirations for the episode Five Tips for Writing a Likeable, Righteous Character. I can't wait to start the sequel soon. Number two, Among the Flames by Kim Vandal, which I read on June 12th and to which I gave four and a half stars. Kim Vandal has rocketed onto the elite list of my favorite authors. She has a solid style, a masterful control of character and subtext, which inspired the post on my site for ways to amplify your character's subtext. She has a way of making even mundane details interesting and has a great slant on supernatural YA. My only true complaint about this second installment in the series is that it's too short. I could happily have handled 500 more pages of Kate and company. As it is, I must suffer heroically through another year of waiting for the sequel. At its heart, this is a romance, and yet there's no romance in either this book or the previous one. And that's half the charm. Vandal is doing what so few authors have the patience or the guts to do in creating a long-lasting, evolving relationship that relies on characterization rather than gratuitously rushed romance. Again, can't wait for the sequel. Number three, Minute Arms by Terry Pratchett, which I read on October 9th and to which I gave four and a half stars. This book is sublimely hilarious. Beautifully plotted. You can find my structural analysis of it in the story structure database on my site. It's peopled with a delightful cast, most notably the charmingly heroic and lovable Carrot. It's my favorite Pratchett book so far, which is saying something. Number four, Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell, which I read on March 13th and to which I gave four stars. I love it when things live up to their reputations. This book is a tour de force in so many ways. Structurally, it's amazing, which is, I think, the largest reason it's so incredibly readable, even at its great size. And again, you can read my structural analysis in the Story Structure Database. The characters are well realized, the themes deep and nuanced, and the historical viewpoint certainly thought-provoking. It has its downfalls, of course, most notably its wretched portrayal of African Americans, but overall it's a charmingly satirical novel that demands introspection from the reader in regard to the intervening ebb and flow of history. And number five, Dr. Faustus by Thomas Mann, which I read on February 16th and which I gave four stars. This is an extraordinary book. Thomas Mann, who is German, Even translated into English has such an immersive and yet easy style of writing. He's a pleasure to read, even when he's not saying anything interesting, which he certainly is here with this deeply symbolic web of personality and history. Most interesting of all, however, is his deft use of a highly unreliable but entirely earnest non-protagonist narrator. I didn't enjoy this quite as much as Magic Mountain, which was one of my top five books last year, but it cements man as one of my favorite classic authors. And now here are my top five nonfiction books. Number one, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend, which I read on June 6th and which I gave five stars. This book is life-changing. Turns out a discussion of boundaries is really a discussion about every single relationship in your life, your personal self-worth and discipline, your childhood, and your religion. The good doctors came at this from a Christian perspective, but they pull no punches in addressing the massive problem Christians in particular have with these issues. At every turn, they're brutally honest, logical, and biblical. The end result is the encouragement and empowerment to live a centered life free of guilt, and balanced in God's will. Number two, This Fabulous Century, 1950-1960 to by Time Life Books, which I read on February 16th. I have yet to read any of this series that wasn't interesting, but this is a standout. It's a thorough, in-depth, and always educational overview of one of the most transitional decades in the 20th century. Number three, A Mighty Fortress by Stephen Osmond, which I read on July 16th, and to which I gave four and a half stars. This is a rapid-fire historical overview of the German people that often reads like a fast-paced documentary. I would have enjoyed a little more depth in the exploration of personalities, but overall this is an excellent big-picture view that offers some surprising insights. Number four, Rasputin, the Saint Who Sinned by Brian Moynihan, which I read on May 23rd, into which I gave four and a half stars. Like most of the world, I have always been fascinated by the murky half-myth, half-reality in which lurks the dark figure supposedly at the heart of the Romanov dynasty's downfall. Moynihan brings clarity, forthright details, and a fair-handed approach that ultimately casts the largest share of blame on Empress Alexandra's wrong-headedness. And number five, Life Lessons by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler, which I read on October 6th and to which I gave four stars. This is a beautiful book with interesting insights. Nothing unforeseen, but it's full of good reminders about what it really means to live a full and meaningful life with no regrets. And here were my top three books for writers this year. Number one, Cover Design Secrets Best Selling Authors Use to Sell More Books by Derek Murphy, which I read on May 16th and which I gave four and a half stars. This book is full of great advice, much of which goes against the grain, but is so sensible it makes you wonder why you didn't think of it yourself. I learned much and appreciated Derek's viewpoint, and I will be approaching my future book covers with a new perspective thanks to this book. Number two, Dramatica Unplugged the Story Mind by Melanie Ann Phillips, which I read on April 14th and to which I gave four stars. Dramatica is such a complex system that it's really helpful to break it down into smaller chunks like this. The book gave me a lot of new ideas to think about. And number three, Five Minute Book Marketing for Authors by Penny Sansevieri, which I read on April 15th and to which I gave four stars. This is an excellent primer for writers just starting out with marketing and wanting a rounded plan of action for selling books. And if all these goodies aren't enough to fill up your to-be-read pile this year, don't forget about my novels, including Storming, Dreamlander, Behold the Dawn, and A Man Called Outlook. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.